Um, so Dan, you wanted a lightning bolt sound to start this thing? Okay, I got as a YouTube. You wanna? Don't even need a YouTube one. That was a great representation <laughs> of a lightning. Wow. I don't know. It says it's lightning. I can't hear it. Got a better one? I think it's coming. Is it coming? Usually the flash comes first and then the sound. <laughs> this is disappointing. I'm not hearing it. Also really disappointing. Oh, you know what it is? I didn't have the volume turned up. Oh. Okay, I'm going to do this again. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Welcome to the Montana Power Podcast. So we've got uh, John Williams on, the mayor of Colstrip. And I guess we just wanted to start the interview by uh, asking you to talk about your experiences living and working in Colstrip for the past 45 years from its founding through to today. I know that's a a complicated question. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, this is John Williams. I've lived in Colstrip actually for 48 years. I moved here, my family and I moved here in uh, 1971 at the beginning of construction of Units 1 and 2. And uh, when we moved here, it was just at the beginning of the construction period. They were expanding their mine operation, building the units, and it was pretty much a a construction town. Uh, Very uh, uh, small population of people just getting ready to build up in preparation for uh, large units that were being constructed. The mine was expanding. They had opened up the mine to to begin the um, uh, mining operation for the power plant that had been recently built in Billings in, in, uh, in 1968, the Corret Station, that's no longer there. And there were probably about 100 people that that lived in town at that, at that time. It was an older town. It had been developed back in the late 20s uh, in response to the, the mining operation for, for Great Northern for the railroads. Mm. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a uh, kind of unique in the fact that this town had been built, uh, we were 30 miles south of the interstate, and uh, unique in the fact that everybody was here from somewhere else and uh, looking forward to uh, new experiences with the, uh, opening the mine and the construction of the plants. Pretty close-knit community at the time. Everything was, a lot of things centered around the activities associated with the high school. There was no no business within our community. There was a small bar north of town, and, and you bought your groceries in the basement of the uh, high school, what they referred to as the fountain at that time. Um, but uh, we were excited to be here. Decided to be a part of what was going to occur, though none of us really anticipated or fully understood exactly what was going to happen. But very close knit community, everybody from someplace else, and uh, we uh, great great lifestyle. Even at the beginning of those early times, uh, when uh, beginning the construction, uh, I came down with another individual. I was. Uh, 
had the responsibility of preparing for the accounting of, of the development. The, the other individual that I moved here with, he was going to be the construction manager, he was an engineer, and uh, we were the first two employees of, of Montana Power that, that, uh, that uh, lived here. Oh, wow. um, where, where we've come over the years is, you know, as the construction evolved and began to build up, we had a small town of around 100, 100 uh, people and everything was, was at that time was, the town was, was unincorporated. It was a part of Rosebud County. Everything was pretty much controlled by the Montana Power Company and the mining company. Everything was owned by them. The company, a Montana Power Company, had actually purchased the mine in the town back in, in the mid-50s when the uh, railroad uh, was transferring its, had closed the mining as a result of transferring their fuel from uh, coal to, uh, to uh, diesel. So Montana Power Comp bought the, the, the mine, the operation of the mine, all the leases that were in place and, and the town came along with that. Um, so that's, that was the beginning of things as they started, didn't it? It, as construction expanded and built up, uh, and uh, units one and two were uh, and, and being uh, getting ready to go into operation, they began the construction of the other two units, units three and four. The mine was expanding, and actually, we uh, ballooned to a population of around 80, 8,700 people that lived in Coal Strip. Everybody was either associated with construction or operation. Uh, they were all good paying jobs. We, even with all the construction and activities that were going on, we still remained a very close, close knit, uh, community. Everybody had jobs. Everybody was working and, and everything was, uh, as far as the development of the town was very orderly and everything was controlled because it was all owned by Montana power company and, and uh, Western Energy. So the the uh, development of the town was very orderly, very controlled. So that's the that's the history of of uh, Coal Strip uh, and uh, how how we you know blossomed up to a, a population 87, 8700 and then we you know we began in a, into a decline of population as a result of construction being completed and. And we came down to a population of probably around, oh, I'd say after construction was over and operating, we're probably a population around 3,500, between 3,500 and 4,000 people. And um, our current population in Coal Strip is around 2,300 people. But uh, at, uh, after construction, we were probably around 3,500, and we and then we you know, declined population to where we are now, 2,300. So that's, that's a little bit of the history of our community. We, we, we remain a very close-knit community. Uh, and I don't know if, if you've ever had the opportunity to come to uh, Coal Strip, uh, Daniel, but I would certainly invite you to come and take a look at, take a look at our community, see Absolutely. what we are, see how, what we look like and, and I think we probably are a great example of, of, of orderly development involving uh, uh, con- going through a construction, very controlled, con- 
controlled construction, and uh, but everything in our community is built around uh, energy. Uh, everybody in this community, and that's 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 how we, what we've evolved to. Uh, everybody is either directly or indirectly connected to the power plants or or the uh, mine. There is there is no other industry. That's you know on the downside on the downside of that we we do not have nor have we ever had a diversification of our economy other than than where we are as, as far as energy nothing is uh, there's nothing else here that is not directly associated with either the mining operation or the power plants but as a result of that uh, we've got a tremendous quality of life life here within our community because everybody is working we've got a very low tax base and we're able to provide quality service as a city to, to the community. Um, our, our community, uh, through the evolution of, uh, of time with deregulation and things that have occurred back in the, back in the nineties, our, uh, we were in those early years, we were an unincorporated community. We incorporated as a community about a little over 20 years ago as a result of actually a kind of an indirect result of deregulation and, and the transition of ownership and, and, uh, with when Montana power company was selling off its, its energy assets, uh, and was removing themselves from any responsibilities into the community. We, we became incorporated, uh, because they, in those early days, the Montana power company and, and, and the mining company, they were, they were actually the ones that were involved with community services. They were performing all the, all the community services, the water, sewer streets, those types of things. And as a result of deregulation and some other things that occurred, uh, we decided as a community that we should become incorporated and have a role in our, our own future. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of the history of what, what we are, what, you know, why we are incorporated because of indirectly because of deregulation and certainly because of the sale and transfer of authority of, uh, with Montana power coming out of the, uh, uh, you know, removing themselves. Right. I was an employee of Montana power company and then I retired. I was in had a management position within the organization and I retired in, uh, from Montana power company and, and, in 1997. Yeah, it's really good to hear the community-oriented side of, of Coal Strip, and I would happily take you up on that offer, too, for um, for coming to, to get a tour of the town and, and the history there. Um, could you? So you said you were a manager at Montana Power Company. Could you talk a little bit about how that's helped you shape your policy decisions around energy and well, just a little bit more about your I, role in the company? I started with Montana Power Company in the Billings Division, in 1963, and I came to Coal Strip with the intention of being involved at, at some level with the with the construction of the of the of the units and in anticipation of continuing, uh, you know, advancing my career with them. And Montana Power Company in those early days was a, a it's a tremendous company. They were very uh, they were probably the in, in, in respect of many people, one of the best organizations, one of the best companies in, in the state of Montana. Mm-hmm. 
they had a genuine concern for their for their customer base. They had a genuine concern for their employees, and a genuine concern for the uh, communities that they did business in. So important, and uh, that's that, that that's that's what Montana Power was all about. Montana, they were, and uh, so I was fortunate to become involved with them. Uh, after I got out of the army, I came out to Montana. I was very fortunate to get a foot in the door with Montana power in those early days and, right. and, uh, came down to coal strip, worked my way into a management position. I was, I worked up to a management. I was the manager of administration responsible for, uh, the operations, uh, the administrative, uh, part of operating the four, the four power plants and all of the, in all those roles, accounting, warehousing, personnel, security, training, all those activities involved uh, were part of the administrative responsibilities. I was, I was a manager of administration uh, uh, at, when I retired from, uh, retired from Montana, but they were, they were, they were an excellent company. It was one, like I said, it was took care of their, took care of their employees and took care of their community and, and had a real uh, extensive involvement in many aspects of, of state. Matter of fact, they, you know, they encouraged their employees to become involved with uh, a lot of things outside of, of their work responsibilities within the community because of their sincere interest in the, in the communities and their customers and, um, but you know, so they were, they were an excellent company. So that's what yeah. we understand as well, John, uh, the influence of Montana power, um, throughout the state was, was great. And, and it sounds like, uh, uh, from what we've heard, it's, it was incredibly positive. People trusted the company and because of the actions it was taking in their communities. And, and then I, uh, you know, we're we're do, we're devoting an episode actually to uh, the Montana Power Company and and the aftermath of deregulation in 1997 when uh, Senate Bill 390 was passed, and uh, and we're going to be talking to you know journalists and and other like state legislators that were a uh, part of that process that that saw it saw it unfold. But um, you know your unique pr- position in the community and talking about how. How, what the positive effects of, of that company was on the community. We're, we're really curious about kind of the emotional side of, of that aftermath and that upheaval. You know, what, what, was, what were your feelings at the, at the time when um, well, Montana Power? One of, my respons- one of my responsibilities at manager administration, I also had the uh, responsibility of town site services. So the uh, Montana Power uh, was the owner-operator of, they were one of the owners, but they were the operating owner of the plants. And uh, they also had uh, the, the, the mine, Western Energy, was a subsidiary of Montana Power. So they had the best of all situations here. They, had, they were the owner, one of the owners, they were the owner-operator, and they also had the mine as a subsidiary. That, and all the, the boilers were built around the type of coal that is mined by was is, has been mined by Western Energy. So they had the best of all situations uh, in those 
in those in that time period. And they, uh, when deregulation was proposed uh, by the company, they their concern during those times was they had to be, they felt threatened uh, for the for their future with. Uh, as far as a Montana energy supplier, uh, supplier of energy, that they felt that they had to place themselves in a more competitive role in order to compete with other identities out there, other energy suppliers. And uh, I remember when, uh, (laughs) this is kind of an interesting statement that was made, they had to, they were concerned with streamlining their operation, becoming more competitive. And um, they hired utility here, the Montana Power as an operator owner, they hired an outfit out of California. I don't remember the name of them. They were gonna come in here and take a look at the operation and make some suggestions to Montana uh, Power as the operating owner and the other owners on what they could do to better streamline their operations as far as cutting costs so to make their the product of energy more competitive and here's a comment that was made by a vice president at that time and because we were and this is and i'll remember this for the rest of my life he made the comment that we were moving into a competitive environment and we need to become more competitive with the product we're selling which is energy we need to become more like enron and little did he know Jesus. that that's, that's exactly what happened. They did become more like Enron. Uh, they they did away with all the good things that they had going for them. And uh, to, to become into a competitive environment, and, and I think little did they recognize or realize that they had the best of all situations gone for them at the time. And... Uh, they worked at convincing our, our uh, regulators through a tremendous amount of lobbying efforts to, to, for deregulation to occur. And, and as an employee uh, of the utility, I, I had a lot of faith and trust in them, and as did many of the other employees, that, that they knew what they were doing. And so they convinced our legislature to move into the they convinced the legislators to move in that direction. And we trusted them. Uh, we had faith in, in them because of past experiences with them. But, uh, you know, it's easy to go back in, in retrospect and think about, boy, they did. They really screwed up. They, right. Little did they realize and recognize they had the best of all situations going for them. And uh, when they made the decision, you know, convinced the legislators to go through the deregulation, and then that allowed them to be able to move their direction into uh, Touch America and sell off the Montana power assets as far as uh, energy, uh, uh, all of their energy, uh, you know, value that they had on electrical energy, the, the the good things that they had gone, they just didn't realize how good things were. And, and because Touch America had been growing tremendously over, over the years since its, its existence uh, as a small subsidiary of the company, and they felt telecommunications was the way to go. What a, 
what a what a mistake that was in looking back and in retrospect and to lose the all the good things that they had going for them when when that occurred uh, as a city the impact that we looked at I had retired and we uh, we recognized that those companies because they were with the exception of Montana Power they were all out of state corporations and we recognized that they were removing themselves from any responsibilities that they had into the community. That was the direction that they were headed. And that was the reason we put forth the incorporation effort as far as uh, becoming incorporated and taking control of our own destiny. So there was a group of us that got together and, and uh, started. None of us had any experience in, in incorporation at all, you know, but we had a lot of resources that we were able to call upon and, and work with. And uh, we worked with, uh, well, I recall uh, Dr. Weaver out of, uh, out of Bozeman, the college, uh, Montana, uh, college, Montana State College in Bozeman. He was with the local government uh, part of uh, local government. He was with local government center at the university. And he came down and, and visited with him. He and Judy Mather came down and visited with this small group that we put together and to talk about incorporation and, and with all the information we were able to glean from him, we thought, Hey, this is the way to go. We need to do this. And that was a tremendous move for, for our community to become involved with there. This was back in, in uh, 1998, a small group of us got together and, and we convinced the, community that this is what we should do or put it out for a vote and the community overwhelmingly supported us in that move to becoming incorporated. That was the best thing that we could have done for the city of Coles becoming a city of Coal Strip. So it was, it was that, that part of that part of all this aspect was excellent for us. So that, that was good. We've been very successful as a, as a city. We provide quality services throughout our community, water, sewer, streets, our law enforcement, we have law enforcement, uh, we have full coverage in law enforcement. We've got tremendous fire department, uh, volunteers, they're volunteer fire department, very low tax base for our community. And we provide quality services out into our community. We're, you know, we're, because when one of the things that we did when we incorporate is that when we drew up those incorporation boundaries, we included all four power plants inside those incorporated boundaries. And as a result of that, we've got a very high valuation. And uh, of, as far as the value of our, our city goes with a uh, very low tax base. So it's benefited everybody in our community, every individual within our community that lives here, all of our residents have benefited as a result of that effort. So. Wow. Um, yeah, it sounds like I mean the stakes are high for every um, decision the representatives make in 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 Helena, and uh, you know, um, yeah, the the tremendous loss uh, with becoming touch uh, Montana Power Company becoming Touch America, where it lost two point seven billion dollars in value, and and lost uh, many good paying jobs. Um, have you thought about what response something like the PSC and state legislators could have had that would have better represented workers and ratepayers alike. It sounds like you kind of addressed that with the incorporation, but what, well, could they have done something at the time? Did. Yeah. 
but you know, if, if you're understanding every, how this all evolved, everybody had a tremendous trust right. for Montana power. Everybody trusted them. And because of that, they were, they were a very trustworthy company mm-hmm. and but they were a trustworthy company that made a very bad decision. And, um, uh, we didn't have enough knowledge, even, even as employees or, and customers and even our legislators to, uh, have turned this, turned this around. You know, they should have, sure. That's easy now right. in retrospect, that's easy to talk about that, what they should have done and, uh, to have turned this around. But, uh, had they done that, <laughs> that occurred looking back, you know, we, what, uh, what tremendous benefits would have occurred across the, the, the state with our rate payers and our employees and that type of thing. Right. Things have, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, it's easy to, to look back and say, wish, wish it would, would have, could have type deal, but, uh, well, you know, we made the right decisions in the city when, with these power plant owners and those types of things, we made the right decision. And I understand that, you know, how the thinking occurred with many of our legislators because of the trust that they had with, uh, Montana, Montana power. And they, they, they were heavily, heavily lobbied. And, and that's a bad thing. I think about, um, you know, the legislative process is the amount of influence, that can occur and does occur with lobbying efforts. And that's, you know, that's, that's on the bad side of it. Um, There's, there's some good things that do occur as a result of lobbyists because of their knowledge and experience. But, you know, you, as a representative, as a legislator, you've got to be able to sort the good from the bad. And, and uh, sometimes you, you need to get out and take a look at what the real, real world is in, in many instances. And I'm, you know, I, I haven't been there. I don't know anything other than things that I've been involved with in my past. So it's easy for me to say those things and without walking in those shoes. So, right. Special interests lobbyists have seemed to been the downfall of, of a true democracy in the past. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've had situations, we've got, you know, uh, things that should have gone differently and, what we've promoted on, particularly on energy and go in there and testify and, and against situations. And you've, uh, you've got these, these lobbyists that are in there and, and, uh, they're, they're not necessarily looking out for, for the city of Colstrip's best right. interest. They're looking out for the interest. They're looking out for the interest of those large, corporations that are that are here like Puget and, mm-hmm. and and others you know I see some good things that have occurred as a result of this so we don't maybe don't uh, didn't recognize it at at the time I'll give you an example of I think that there's some good things that have occurred let me give you an example back when uh, when I was working with Montana Power Company and we had completed the construction of units three and four, and we were attempting to put uh, those units into the rate base. I was part of that, part of the group, putting together numbers and those types of things. Oh, and, wow. and unit three was put into the rate base and 
and the company was attempting to put unit four into the rate base. And because of the way uh, energy had evolved, there was tremendous growth uh, and, and, and need for electrical energy back in those eighties. And it, it, it tapered off. There was a tremendous growth and it tapered off. And here the company was, they were attempting to, to get unit four into the rate base and the demand for energy had, had declined. And so they were unable to get unit four rate based. Uh, and that was probably the right decision for the PSC to make mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, and well, we didn't think it was as a company, we didn't think it was the right thing because it was, it was going to really put Montana power company into a very, uh, we're risking, risking bankruptcy because of the tremendous amount of costs that had been expended in unit four, not being able to recover those costs. But, but what the company was able to do is they were able to do a, a, a lease of, of, of unit four down into, down into California. I can't remember all the details, but they were able to get out from under the costs associated with unit four by leasing it out, leasing the plant out. So then, uh, when, all the assets came up for sale. All the generation assets came up for sale. When Montana Power was selling those, they sold all of their hydro and they sold all of their uh, ownership they had in these units to PPNL. Mm. Okay, but they were not able to sell the share that they had in unit four. They were unable to do that because they had a lease arrangement with this outfit down there in California. So, all those assets were sold to PPNL. And here's an interesting thing. After they sold, the energy, cost of energy skyrocketed. Right. Went through the roof. You know, became very valuable. And PPNL bought those for I don't remember what the number was, billion dollars or whatever. Uh, they sold those 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 resources mm-hmm. uh, to PPNL. And I wasn't part of it, but I understand from those that were a part of it that PPNL was able to recover the cost of their sale the first five years of operation because of what they were able to market that power for. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about what if they, uh, the benefit that would have been to Montana Power had they been able to retain that. But that's what they were able to recover. They were able to recover that first billion dollar investment in that first year, first five years. Okay, they weren't able, uh, since Unit 4 was not a part of it, Unit 4, when that lease arrangement came up, uh, expired, Northwestern Energy became involved. Right. And Northwest Energy was able to purchase that and make that energy available to its customers, to its Montana power, to its Montana customers in Montana. So here we, through this, what was a bad situation for Montana Power Company, was turned around and became a good situation because Northwestern Energy was able to obtain that and to the benefit of Montana customers. Right. That so is- what started out bad it's going to turn out good. And you know, you, you're involved now and you, you're knowledgeable about the issues that we have with the uh, uh, recent announcement where they're going to, they so they were able to obtain 30% uh, share 
of Unit 4. They became one of the owners. And that's going to be to the value and the benefit of every every resident in the state of Montana. And certainly with Coal Strip, that's, going to, that's a good thing. Now, now that they had recently had the announcement that they're going to acquire an additional 25% right, I saw that. of Unit 4 from Puget Sound. Good news for Montana. Good news for Montana for a dollar. Right, it's good. And, to, uh, it's good to not have to uh, import so much energy into our state, and rather exactly. have the resources exactly. to make it ourselves. Yeah, I am because kidding. Northwestern Energy does not have enough energy. They they need to go out onto the market to buy energy because they don't have enough of their own generation uh, assets. I am really so curious. Uh, John, about your position on uh, Northwestern Energy released their uh, next 20-year electricity resource um, supply procurement plan this year. And um, look, they're predicting Coal Strip Unit 4's closure around 2042. And I'm just curious Mm -hmm. what your response is to their plan. I don't know about 2042. That's too far out for me to even think about. I've Mm -hmm. got to, what we've been doing with, we've, as a city, with all the threatened closures of, of units and those other non mm. those out of state owners that want to remove themselves from from the operation here, I've anticipated all the way when this when this has been going on. I have anticipated that things are going to turn around, and I'm not going to sit back mm-hmm. and uh, I'm be that concerned, though I am concerned, I want to say this right, I have a genuine concern for the for the future of our community. Right. But I'm not going to stop doing things that we need to do to keep making improvements to our operation and the infrastructure within our community. I'm going to continue to work to, as, as long as we have the resources to be able to do it, to, to continue to make improvements. We've got an aging infrastructure just like every other city, small city, town in Montana. So my efforts are going to be to continue to make improvements and changes and adjustments as we need to have for anticipating the future is going to be a bright future for our community. Absolutely. It needs to be. So, I hear you. So, uh, you know, that's been my uh, involvement. And we've, you know, we've got a number of things that we're, we're looking looking at in addition to those types of activities as far as the ones that you can put hands on you know infrastructure we're taking a look at uh, we just developed our our growth plan for the community and and uh, we're we're developing a, a regional marketing strategy strategy we're doing some recruitment things we're we're looking at things that we need to do to make our community more attractive in the event Mm-hmm. that opportunities are presented to us to give us the, uh, the opportunity to diversify our economy. So that's kind of where we're at. Now this, so this, this uh, uh, announcement uh, with, uh, with additional uh, shares of, of Unit 4 by Northwestern Energy is a real positive mm-hmm. opportunity out here. I've argued... Uh, when I've had the opportunity that we need to be looking at methods and ways to improve upon the energy that is produced here by making it cleaner. 
you know, right. making it cleaner. That's that's spend the money on things, but that's these companies are finding it easier to remove themselves from this if they're able to make reinvestments in their own state because of the uh, uh, one of the things that I think that they're looking at is return on investment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, so you get a lot of discussion out there as far as these being old, dirty, costly. Uh, Those are the types of things that are being spread by the MEIC and the Sierra Club and 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 it's put these companies into a situation where they're continually defending themselves with and, uh, with what they're doing here uh, with legal costs and those types of things. It, so they're they've kind of moving away from things and uh, that are going well here and, and with the intention of making investments perhaps in their own state where they're able to recover their a nine and a half percent. Puget gets a nine and a half percent return on investment. These plants uh, have been depreciated out, to, even though the product that they're selling is very—it's uh, uh, an economical product that, that's going out of here. The cost of generation, in comparison to what these ratepayers are going to find out when the companies that they depend upon make new investment, and then they get a nine and a half percent return on return on. Right. You know, Vista has recently gone through accelerated depreciation on their on their. Uh, uh, investment that they have here in units three and four, and and they they're making a request to their people out there, you know, a ten percent rate increase, and a ten percent rate increase uh, because of accelerated depreciation, removing themselves from coal. It's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, those no, types no. of increases on utility rates, particularly when you when you think about the thing that I think about on, as a as an operator of city services that we provide, water and sewer, 10%, okay, you've, you've got 10% cost increase on electricity. Then, you, then you've got to figure out what are you going to do when you have that 10% cost increase on the pumping of, of, of your water and your sewer and those types of things. So, so your rate payers not only get hit to your, your residents, not only get hit with a 10% increase in your electric rates, you get, 10% increase in costs of providing those uh, services for water and sewer. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a kind of a domino effect when, whenever electrical energy prices increase the, the impact on another places that you need to buy water and sewer. Yeah. So, speak, so speak, speaking of the that's numbers. That's something you can think about. You know, that's the thing that you're running for office with PS as, as public service commission that, you know, when not only do you, you, you take a look at the impact cost impact associated with your residents. You need to take a look at the impact of that increase of cost on other, on other things that they buy besides electricity, water, sewer, right. And right. other, other things that they impacted. Well, so getting back to the, the, those out of staters yeah. that are, uh, uh, pulling out and uh, the investments that they're committing to, we we really want to know from you, I guess, what those numbers mean. So, so just to just to go over it for the listeners that, that uh, need a picture of need a picture painted of of this, uh, there's some money being proposed to compensate the town of Colstrip for 2020, 2022 closures of plants one and two, 
And according to an article from 2017, one of those companies that you were just talking about, Puget Sound Energy, which owns part of Plant 1 and 2, they've pledged uh, $10 million uh, towards community planning for the town. And and we're just curious, like, what, can you put that number into perspective for us? What does that money go toward? And, 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 and it doesn't seem like a lot of money. Can you, can you put that amount in perspective for us? Well, I can't, I can tell you that uh, $10 million is, uh, that has been committed to the community is, is a relatively insignificant number compared to the, to the value that Puget has received over these last 40 years because of, of the product that's been provided by people that live and work in this community and through their employees. It's pretty insignificant. I don't know what the number is that Puget has, uh, uh, you know, has obtained through their, their uh, electrical energy that they've provided to their customers, but it's, it's relatively small uh, in relationship to the benefit that they've received. And where that is, is that, uh, uh, that was provided for the community as a uh, to the community as a whole. That's that's not to the city of Colstrip, to the community as whole and as a whole. And uh, because of the uh, closure of units uh, one and two, but um, and Puget has has supplied that, but there has not been a, a vehicle or a, a, a method put in place as to how at this point that will be allocated out into the community. That process has not occurred yet. There is a group that is looking at that and what their plan is. It's all invested right now. And their plan is to, to, uh, is to take, uh, 8 million of, of that 10 and make it available through a application process based on uh, transition, uh, economic development, uh, you know, but the, the, the methods on exactly how that will occur have not been devised yet. $2 million of it will remain in a permanent trust. And the $2 million will, uh, they will utilize the interest obtained from that to, to uh, assist the community in transitioning. You know, economic development, infrastructure could be debt. There could be a number of things. It could be scholarships into our into our school system. It could be uh, assistance into our medical uh, clinic. Uh, those types of things to mm-hmm. to continue to improve upon services that are that are provided by them. You know, could be scholarships for our kids. So there's not a plan put together exactly how that those funds will be allocated uh, at this point. It's, it's undefined at this point. So okay. work in progress. Yeah. seems like a, uh, it's, it seems like a start, but they do need to do a, lot, do a yeah. lot more to give back to the community oh, that's given so I much think, to them. Yeah. I think the, uh, for instance, like out in uh, one of the plants, I think it was in Centralia. Uh, they, there was like a $55 million dollar, transitional uh, funds set up in that community. And that was community that, uh, that uh, will be impacted with uh, plant closure, but it's much, much larger plant and or much larger uh, community than, than coal strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So the impact out there would be not to the extent that it, that it is in culture, but it's, you know, it's, it is what it is and, and we'll work with it. It's, and that is just one, one owner of Puget is, right. is one owner. They were the largest owner. There's not been any direction or indication from uh, any of the other owners. There initially was with a Vista when they were attempting to sell their uh, company to uh, Hydro One uh, Canada, we'd sat down with a Vista and had negotiated a four and a half million dollar. They're they're fifteen percent owner of fifteen percent owner of, of units three and four, but that did not go anywhere because uh, the sale was not approved by the Washington uh, um, Public Service Commission. I, I think they're called Trans Transportation Commission or something like that. But uh, it was not approved, so that never, never went through any type of uh, um, completion. Uh, I understand they are; they've been in touch with me, and they're proposing some other things to the community. But I don't know any of those details at this stage on a three million dollar transition. And they've indicated to me. Uh, their management has indicated to me that they want to work, continue to work with the city of Colship on some type of a trans, trans, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, transition. Transition plan in, in with the community. But I haven't seen anything yet, so I don't know where that's at, what will happen, but that's significantly less, million and a half dollars less than what we had initially agreed to when they wanted us to work with them on their sale with hydro one so we'll see where it goes i don't know yeah thanks for going over what what you do know i appreciate that yeah yeah it sounds like they need to you know potentially contribute more if that's their plan that seems right Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah we have a question about uh, i guess i mean energy prices are are, it's a complex picture and uh, but it's part of the story because Montanans with homes and businesses don't want to pay more for power. So like, what are your thoughts on the, this common trope or this idea that following natural gas prices and renewable prices are causing coal to lose its price competitiveness? Well, I don't, uh, that's, that's true as I understand because of the fact that uh, your renewables have a significant uh, tax incentive for them to be, Instructed, so you uh, you have that situation where where those uh, the uh, those energy producers are 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 supported with your tax money. Mm. Uh, they're, they're supported uh, uh, with with tax benefits that your uh, power plants are not uh, provided that that same in, incentive. So, um, as far as the cost of energy becoming more expensive here, that you know, it's it, I I doubt that it has changed much in the last twenty thirty years. Everything increases, you know, your labor costs increase, and and your your uh, fuel your fuel, which is a large part of it uh, of the cost. But uh, my thought or my ideas are these these plants are still very competitive as far as the market goes. You know. They don't receive the subsidies that that wind does uh, without 
without the subsidization of wind energy, it would not be competitive. I mean, that's just a fact. Without it being subsidized, it would not be competitive. Hmm. Uh, these plants are. Um, now, the other thing that, in addition to, these plants are, I mean, they are competitive. Right. They are affordable, but they are more, most importantly, they are reliable. Mm. They are reliable. And uh, they, when that weather drops down to 20 below zero or whatever, these power plants have been continually updated and upgraded uh, through all these years, even though there are old plants, they've been updated and upgraded and they are reliable and they are cost competitive. Mm. And what uh, I believe you will, you will eventually see is that, and, and, and we've seen it to some degree at this stage that the price of gas w- will, as the demand is, is there, the price of gas will increase. And that's, that's what will happen. And to, and though gas is competitive, it, to provide additional energy, you need to build additional gas uh, facilities. You need to build yeah. additional. So you've got the cost of the investment to build those plants and the cost of investment plus the return on investment uh, you know, you're going to be running for public service commission. All that has to be consideration in, on the cost of the product that is being provided. Right. Uh, you know, and, and coal is competitive. And most importantly, it, it, it it's competitive, it's affordable, and it is reliable. Yeah, we want to figure out the, we want to figure out the best way to to supply energy for everyone in Montana without having to import the, without having to import energy and just make sure that we're taking in all of these factors to the right. decisions of our energy grid. And I, I really want what's the best for the community of coal strip moving forward uh, throughout the decades mm-hmm. as well. And I'm wondering if Northwestern energy proposed a plant closure, what should the PSC regulators response be? If Northwestern proposes a closure. Yes. I don't see that happening. I don't envision. I think that Northwestern Energy recognizes the value. Uh, I mean, you take a look at what what they're putting together. Announces a goal when they announce their goal to to uh, when they announce their acquisition of twenty five percent. You know, I think they they knew they were going to get a lot of of. Uh, uh, arguments against that, particularly from the MEIC and the Sierra Club and those types of things. But Northwestern recognizes the value of these units down here. Right. They recognize that. They recognize the fact, and, and I'm sure you've, you've probably taken a look at it, that what in March of, of last year, when, when, when we had that uh, 20 below temperature, the, 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 um, Windmills went ne- went went negative. They became power users versus power producers. They had to have power in order to keep them from freezing up. So they became users rather than producers. Right. Uh, yeah. The Dave Johnson plant there in Anaconda Butte country up there had to switch from natural gas because they didn't have available supply of gas to diesel. 
because there was such a demand being placed on natural gas into the homes. They didn't have available supply. Right. So they had to switch to diesel. So, you know, I mean, uh, and, and these plants produce it in that $30 a, a megawatt uh, number. That's what they produce it at. And they were buying power at $1,000 per megawatt. They produce it at 30. They're buying it for 1000 Mm-hmm. Yeah, Northwestern Energy they, makes a uh, good yeah. return on investment with their investments in culture right. too. And they're selling it. And they're selling it. I don't know what uh, so they're selling it in the neighborhood of $50, $55 or something like that per megawatt. That's what they're selling it to their customers at, but it's costing them $1,000 per megawatt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was that was an extreme situation. I know that. That was extreme because of the, the but, uh, they're very, they, and that's their Northwestern's concern is they're very vulnerable to the market and the impact that the market in these situations will have on the cost of power for their residents. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, most importantly is the reliability. Yeah, absolutely. Reliability. We need I to- mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, it's there. I mean, you don't have the reliability from, uh, 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 wind, it's not reliable. Right. Solar you, is not. Coal is. Natural gas is reliable, but even in situations of natural gas, uh, if you don't have available resources in order to to meet the requirements of whatever plant it is, you know, you, it, it doesn't matter if it is it is cheaper. You don't have the availability. So. Yeah, batteries. So it's, a, it's a complex, it's a complex situation, but I think Northwestern recognizes that, and they're headed in the right direction. The thing that that I think that they need to do, and the PSCs also has a responsibility, is putting out good, accurate information to the people. Accurate information. I believe Northwestern Energy is an honest company. I believe the information that they're putting out there is is honest and it's accurate. That's my belief of them. And uh, I believe that there are those within, even there are those that within your, particularly your, your environmentalists that are uh, put out the negative side of it. And you get a lot of negative stuff sells in newspapers and good accurate information isn't being supplied to the public because of whatever influences. I don't feel that, that the MEIC and the Sierra Club is providing good, accurate information. They just don't like the idea that coal is affordable, coal is reliable, and it is clean burning. And let's put some effort into making it better, a better product because of the value that we receive as a result of coal being mined in Montana. I'm going to jump, jump the switch with you a little bit. And that's talk about coal because there's, and I've made this comment a number of times, there is no other industry in modern Montana's history, in modern Montana's history, no other industry that has made such a significant positive impact across the state of Montana that coal has. Um, we have, uh, when this severance tax was implemented 40 plus years ago to 30% rate, then it reduced to 15. And one in the, in the coal severance tax that, that has been uh, spread out across the state, coal severance tax, over $2 billion 
has been collected on one tax alone, over two billion, that's with a B, and a billion dollars sets in a trust account. Mm. A trust account. That, and I'm sure that the legislators that put this process into place years ago would never have envisioned that the amount of money would be collected off of a severance tax. Over $2 billion. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. And we've benefited from that all across the state of Montana. And there's over a billion dollars that's sitting in a permanent coal trust fund. At the time that was set up, going back in history, and I know I'm jumping around, but at the time that was all set up, that permanent trust, coal trust account, it was with the, with the argument that uh, eventually coal would no longer be a factor in our economy. So we need to set up this permanent coal trust fund that is that half of the monies that are collected from the severance would be set aside and used when this product is no longer available. It was to take care of what, what will occur when that resource is no longer available. Well, the reality is on that because it requires a, uh, an overwhelming majority of of the legislature to to get in, in into that trust account. The reality is that it will never be used, but the interest of those funds will is there and will be continually used across the state of Montana. But can you imagine, I mean, with what I just said, these last 47, 48, 49 years, $2 billion, mm-hmm. and a billion of that has been spread across the state of Montana yeah. Every Montana has benefited from this buried sunshine in the state. We sometimes we lose the recognition of the value of what we have. And I'll go back to and say it. That's what happened with Montana Power years ago. They lost sight of what they actually had. Yeah. And we can see the result of, of that. They lost that vision. Those people that we're in, in, in those uh, management roles, lost the vision of the good things that they had. And, and, uh, and I think that one of the things that we need to always be aware of is what we have. Let's not lose what we have. That's not, uh, this isn't called a treasure state because it doesn't have treasures. That buried sunshine is out there and it's, it's, there's tremendous resources that are still available to us as long as we keep working to make it better. Okay. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty valid, valid point. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, you know, that's just one tax. That doesn't have anything to do with your, your, uh, a lot of the other things that collected from, 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 uh, from coal, the federal taxes, the property taxes, uh, you know, the gross proceeds taxes that occur on it. There's billions of dollars that, that have uh, come into this benefit of our every resident in our state as a result of of coal that is mined and in in here in eastern in in these counties. That coal is all mined in, in Rosebud County and, and uh, Muscle Shell and, and Bighorn County and some a little bit of it in Richland and and uh, even some in uh, Yellowstone County as a result of that uh, mm. 
that mine that that uh, signal peak mine that's set up. So yeah, yeah. that's. I mean, I think that's important. Yeah. I think okay. it's you know, uh, I think uh, people who are involved in them sort of go out of, diverge from our script slightly. Who mm-hmm. are involved in the environmental movement, I think they are well intentioned, but I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can lose sight of, of uh, the impacts that these, uh, like coal, can have on on a, uh, on a community, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's probably not uh, stated strongly enough. I think uh, I think we have to have an honest reckoning uh, with uh, what this energy does, and you know what. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, uh, what what it takes to. Uh, <laughs> you know, a, like you said, it's a reliable source of energy. Uh, you know, if you did put into place uh, wind and solar, you'd have to entirely change the grid uh, to uh, allow for that. We have a grid that's sort of set up um, for this stable source of power. It's not realistic to uh, mm-hmm. think other. you can plug these other things, inputs into the system. Other investments would yeah. need to be made. Yeah. That's yeah. True. That's true. So, um, so we we were we we heard a quote from the border regents meeting saying that it sort of. That the coal strip plant would be closed within a decade. So you're saying that I'm the vice president of Northwestern of the transmission. Yeah. So you're you're saying though that you think that's that was a foolish comment then. Yeah. 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 I think we're going to be here. I think we're going to be here out to the future, and certainly the nearest foreseeable future, as I see it. And there may be opportunities uh, for some of the diversification of our economy. There may be opportunities for some other identity to come in here and and be a part of the operation and we go through some type of carbon capturing act action to to make these uh, better uh, cleaner burning there could be a, it's i cannot predict what will occur any more than than uh, let's say uh five years ago uh six years ago would you have predicted that perhaps northwestern would be requiring an additional share of, of unit four for the benefit of customers in Montana. No, wouldn't even thought about that. I would have never thought about it. Right. You know, uh, but, but that's what is occurring. And, and, uh, those other owners are anxious to remove themselves from, from, uh, from Montana and from coal. And, uh, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what other interest there may be out there. We've got the benefit. Another thing we have here is we've had the benefit of the transmission line. Right. That's in place. That transmission line is in place. It goes across, goes all the way across our state, goes into the Pacific Northwest, and uh, eventually you will see some wind energy that will have access onto that line. There's available capacity on that line. And you may see some other things that will occur on that. So that's a benefit for us. That's a real value. Right. And, uh, you know, Puget has to has, removes himself from the coal. But once that energy gets on out in that transmission line, you don't know where it's coming from. That's, you know, that's, that's you know, yeah, it's we, on the line. We don't want electrical need. energy. We need it. And people in the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest are going to need it. You don't know where, you know, what's the source of it? Is it coal? Is it wind? Is it hydro? Right. Yeah, we you don't know. want any stranded assets, and those transmission lines will be put to good use for decades yeah. and decades yeah. to come. And not, you know, and, and there's not going to be any more transmission lines built. It's going to be a it's, well. Let me just say, it will be a tremendous challenge 
This uh, and the same thing with natural gas. Mm. It's going to be a challenge to put more additional, even though there will be a growing demand because of, of, of our population of our people, there will be a growing demand. It's going to be a challenge. We, we, we know, we know that because if you're environmentalists, it just, uh, they're, they're obstructionists. They are. We got to make sure we get this right with our energy grid. And I just have one last question for you, John. I was wondering what should the public service commission's role be in helping with the future of coal strip, the community and the, and the units? Well, geez, that's a good, that's a good question. What should the public service commission's role be in regards to city of coal strip, the community of coal strip? Uh, my suggestion there would be, you know, that uh, be knowledgeable of what right. we have, what we are, and what we have contributed. And I don't think we're looking for any payback as a result of that. But be knowledgeable of that. Have compassion for the for the community, the same as you have, Absolutely. you will have as a PSC for the people within within the. Uh, we're all across the state compassion for, for those that, that you are, you know, that you're regu- in, in the regulation aspects that you're doing, have compassion for those. Um, you know, I, uh, become, I, I guess the thing is the best thing is to become knowledgeable, get yourself educated, uh, on, on the, uh, the challenges and opportunities, uh, that, that are there. Um, you know, and that's kind of a general, uh, you know, there's no real, I don't have the magic crystal ball mm-hmm. on, on out into the future, but I think as you become knowledgeable and, and you become educated, you will see the value of, of what we have. And, uh, you know, you can use the past to, make determinations of where we should go into the future. Right. I think that that is a viable and also have been knowledgeable of the, of the, you know, we're sometimes we feel as a community that we, uh, we're acceptable losses, uh, particularly with those large companies that are, that are here that are non-resident, that are out-of-state companies. We're acceptable losses. We're acceptable casualties, the city of Coal Strip, and the people working here and living here. And we are not, you know, that's any time, you know, that's, we are not acceptable casualties. And, uh, and uh, we are not going to sit back and, and become uh, accommodating to those that will benefit as a result of them moving their resources from our community. We all, uh, we need to be treated right. Yes. We need to be treated right. The same as your, and if you have the interest in serving your, your customers also have interest in, on, on the benefit of those that have provided those services that, that you've facilitated. Uh, you know, that's kind of, not a very good answer, but that's, that's, no, those are my thoughts. John, John, that's a great, great note to end on. We really appreciate your time and educating mm-hmm. us on um, the town, um, mm-hmm. how it's built over the years, um, 
where it's at right now and your and your vision going forward. Um, so thank you. And uh, yep. yeah, hopefully Dan's able to take you up well, on the chance to, to actually visit that in person and meet more people like you. Yeah, I'd really like to yeah, continue right. this dialogue with, with you, John, in the future, uh, especially if I'm on the PSC. It's really important to make sure that we're keeping Colstrip in mind when we make all these decisions and, and keeping yeah. that compassion too. I think that was a really good point. Well, you sound like a nice guy. Daniel and, and Max, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. And like I say, I uh, welcome the opportunity to, you know, extend an invitation, come into our community, take a look at what we have and, and uh, what we have been able to accomplish as a result of a community that's built on, on energy. Uh, it's love to have you here. Well, and you didn't so. say anything about Ryan there, so uh, we'll make sure that no we don't, oh, we don't, we don't yeah. bring him yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm absolutely. Canadian, so, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate yeah. it. You bet. You bet. Thank okay. you. Great. Have a good yeah. day. Have a good Thanks. day. Thanks. Bye. Bye.